We're most likely in a recession or potentially going into a recession, depending on who you ask or where you ask. And uh, sales become a little bit trickier. Uh, business doesn't just flow in automatically. And so we need better tools, we need better frameworks, we need better systems to help invite customers into a story that uh, ends with them buying from us, hopefully, if they're the right fit. On today's episode, I get to interview somebody who's going to give us some strategies for that specifically. Amanda Holmes is uh, the co-author of the latest version of The Ultimate Sales Machine, originally written by her father, Chet Holmes, uh, who uh, they have helped, their organization has helped thousands of companies all around the world double uh, their sales and more. Uh, some really uh, incredible tips and strategies that we're going to go through. And we're going to talk about things that I love in relationship to that was not just how do we make money, but how do we do it while also uh, staying true to who we are, our values, and our purpose. Without any further ado, here's my conversation with Amanda. Hey, Amanda, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Jay. So I'm super excited to have you because um, uh, you come highly recommended for one of our team members here at the agency. She saw you speak at Inbound uh, this year in Boston, which is a beautiful city. And uh, she said you were amazing, super helpful, mm -hmm. great ideas. And I thought she said you have to have her on the show. And I said, great, wonderful. So thanks for being here. Absolutely. Happy to be. So you help a lot of people with all kinds of ideas, framework strategies around sales and sales is a struggle for people. Many people start a business because they're a, uh, a, tact a tactician, a, 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 a doer of things, a maker, a creator, and then maybe haven't thought about how to sell well. And then some people that are listening may actually be at larger companies where they have sales teams. And so um, a lot of folks in the next, um, I don't know, six to 12 months are going to probably encounter some uh, economic resistance, let's say. And so I'd love to just kick us right into what are some thoughts that you have that you share with people that help them improve their sales game? Because it's going to become extremely important for business Absolutely. owners and entrepreneurs. Well, let me ask you a question, Jay. What percentage of companies do you think make it to a million in annual sales? Uh, it's very small. I forgot the percentage. I do know this answer, but I forgot it. It's small though. If you had to guess. I think it's like 5%, something like that. Ding, ding, ding. I wish I had a gift. I would <laughs> give you a prize. Yes. 95% of businesses never make it to a million in annual sales. Of that, 0.08% make it to 5 million. Mm. Of that, 1.8% or sorry, 1.5% make it to 10 million and 0.004% make it to 100 million and beyond. Now, I'll take you back to 1967. There were two companies that were started on the same block. One was a mom and pop uh, hamburger joint. They put all their love into their burgers. And another one was McDonald's. Now we go back right 50 years later and one is the largest grossing revenue generating hamburger joint in the world. And the other one is still a mom and pop shop with one location. And we look at entrepreneurs and we think, oh, it has to be about my product or service. That's going to make the difference between getting from a million to five, from five to 10, from 10 to 100 million and beyond. But when we look at that example of McDonald's, do you think McDonald's has a superior burger? Probably not. <laughs> right. It's the mom and pop shop. The thing that's missing are the skills it takes to grow the business and skills can be developed. So my father was in was famous for saying mastery isn't about doing 4,000 different things. It's about doing 12 things 4,000 times. We have assisted now a quarter million businesses worldwide, teaching them these 12 core competencies on how to double sales. My father wrote one of the most recommended sales books of all time. It's called The Ultimate Sales Machine. And every chapter is a different core competency on how to double sales. So the first thing I have to say for everybody that's listening is, the good news is with this economic turn, it's not about shiny object syndrome. You don't have to look for 50 million different ways. Let's just hone in on the key areas of where you need to grow. And many times out of the 12, it's really just one core competency that you need to master and that will make all the difference. I'm going to pause here. Anything you want to say about that? No, I think it's great. I think that when you, I always say that there's four key areas of business, people, product, process, and uh, promotion. And it's, but it's the promotion side, it's the sales engine where I think a lot of people get stuck because they get obsessed with, we've got the best product that there is. And I'm like, 
Well, that's great. But if nobody knows about it or they're not sufficiently disturbed to buy it, I always say prospects are on a spectrum. They either don't know they have a problem, they know they have a problem, but they're not sufficiently disturbed to take action, or they know they have a problem and they're sufficiently disturbed to take action. And I think, you know, that's the struggle that a lot of people have is we focus a lot on the messaging side and not as much on the sales side. So I'd love to, I know we don't have time to unpack all 12, but maybe we could dig into a couple of those competencies um, to help people kind of get a glimpse of what's in the book. I love that. Uh, We do a lot of messaging too. I would love to share notes. We should discuss that at another time. For that. Uh, (laughs) So um, when we think of sales, uh, on average, it takes five to, I'm sorry, eight to 12 contacts before we actually get an appointment today, eight to 12. And yet um, uh, only 50% of sales reps actually follow up after three follow-ups and 90% don't follow up after five. So a very small percentage are actually getting the results that you need to succeed in sales today. Um, and it's all that fortune is in the follow-up, right? But the problem is that 91% of our prospects feel that salespeople are too pushy today. They're just, mm. and it's because of Amazon, right? Amazon has taught us to go on the internet to look at customer reviews, and that's how we decide to buy. So we've built up this strong hatred for sales reps. And that traditional commission breast salesperson is just dead today. So we have to ask ourselves, how can we come to a prospect with a way where we are the bright spot in their day, where we are providing so much value that they see, wow, I haven't even exchanged my credit card yet with this person and they have solved my issues. They've talked to me about the exact pains that I'm having, right? So it's critical to shift that tactical salesperson that's just, will you buy my product? Here's my product. Here's my product. Here's my product. Uh, I mean, uh, salespeople are converting seven times more prospects from social than in any other source because it's such a great place. I, I don't know how many of your um, the people that watch your program or your podcast, uh, do much social selling. Do you think they do? Um, you know, I don't know, but I, I, my uncle always told me, um, the best way to do the best way to grow business and never run out of customers is just do a great job for somebody and ask them to tell somebody else. And so referrals (laughs) have always worked, but people, here's what happens to us in the marketing side. People come to us and they go, um, well, Jay, our best referral or our best business comes from referrals. And I'm like, that's great. But how much else are you leaving on the table? Um, I love that you talked about the follow-up thing because I always tell people that there's two primary reasons that salespeople don't close deals. Number one, they just don't ask for the sale. Like mm-hmm. they have a nice lunch and we had a nice time and we made friends and it's all great. But I never actually asked you to buy from me. And oh. number two is they don't follow up enough. And like, that's, I just didn't have the numbers behind it. So now I can steal those numbers and uh, I'll credit <laughs> to you at some point. You know? Oh no, it's open <laughs> and, market. And, and fortune is in the follow-up. What a great line that is. Like, that's so true, but it's, but, but we're, I think that so many people are um, so like failure averse, which is not good in sales because there's more failure than there is success. Uh, a lot of times you're going to get a lot more no's than you do yeses. Um that they're just not willing to keep asking. But but you talked about like this idea of social selling or, you know, not not selling in a way that's not making somebody be like, oh my gosh, they're just trying to like push their product down my throat. So what are some things that you teach people that are valuable in that space? Yes, I can teach that. Let me tell a story first and then I'll tie it back to that. How about that? Sure. Love stories. So <laughs> so my father got his big break working for a billionaire by the name of Charlie Munger. Are you familiar with him? I've heard the name. Co-chairman of Berkshire Hathaway. So uh, business partners to Warren Buffett. Okay. So so when he doubled the sales for Charlie for in nine different companies, all within 12 to 15 months and several of them multiple years consecutively, he realized he had a system for doubling sales. And the way that it went is he was given a list of 2,200 potential prospects. And they said, okay, go cold call these 2,200. And he looked at the list. He went, that's a lot of people. So when he analyzed the list, he realized that 95% of the market was purchased by only 167 of those 2,200. Mm. So he created a dream 
a hundred, well, we call it a dream 100 now, but a dream 167 campaign where every week he would do something that would provide value for these 167 at that time. He was, this was pre the internet. So he was sending a direct mail piece, something that was educational, something that was clever and funny. Then he'd follow up with a phone call. Then he'd follow up with a fax and then he'd do it again. And every single week, those 167 got either a phone call, a fax, a direct mail piece or an email. And this kept going on. So for four months, they got not one sale. So the office started to talk like, who is this sales expert? And he can't even close a barn door, right? (laughs) There's no sales coming in, but they were working on the biggest clients possible. In the sixth Mm -hmm. month, he closed the largest contract that the industry had ever seen. He brought Xerox into the fold. And after that, doubled sales over and over and over again. So this concept of the Dream 100, my father, have you ever heard of the Dream 100? I have actually somebody mentioned it the other day at an event that I was at and I was like, why don't we have that? And so Mm. like the idea, like finding a hundred new customers, just like your very best buyers, like that, I I had heard it before. We just haven't done it. And that's one of those things. I think when people listen to something like this, they go, oh, that's a good idea, but go do it. Like it's on literally on my to-do list right now to do this. (laughs) So it's ironic that we're talking. That is funny. So my father invented it and many people have shepherded it since like uh, Russell Brunson. Are you familiar with Russell yep. Brunson? Yeah. Click funnels. So Russell was a client of ours. He learned dream 100 from my father and that's mm. what assisted him to grow to hundred million in four years. He wow. said one of the key strategies that he used was ultimate was the dream 100. And it, it's all throughout the book. Actually, I just did the new edition. I don't know if you knew that. Yes, I saw it. I have it actually. So, oh, awesome. Okay. So what I added to it was how can Dream 100 be adapted for social now? Because mm. my father didn't have the internet. That's why he did direct mail. That's why he did cold calling. So I use this example of, uh, I had a potential client that had reached out for our services before, and I happened to sit next to him at a yacht party. And I went, oh, great, this guy, he's going to, I have to win his sale. And I'm sure like commission breath was just oozing out of my mouth. Commission (laughs) breath, that's so good. I wanted it so bad. I wanted it so bad. And he just cold shouldered me the whole entire evening. And we're stuck on a boat. Like he couldn't go anywhere. Right. So I was like, how do I win this guy's attention? Or how do I win his sale? So we ended up, I did um, a thing that I called a signature selfie, which is anytime you've met somebody since 80% of leads have never followed up on, according to Salesforce, I do this fun thing where I say, oh, you know, it was so nice to meet you, Jay. Let's do something fun, shall we? Here, look up and smile, huh? Smile. Okay, and I'll text it to you. So what I would do in person, oh my God, this is hysterical. I, um, so Normally, I would get your phone number, but I don't have to do it on in front of uh, everybody. Uh, but normally, I do it from stage, and I do it sure, one-on-one sure. In, in networking events, and I did it with this dream client of mine. So I got his phone number, and then I asked, okay, where do you spend majority of your time online? Where do you spend it most? Is it LinkedIn? Is it Twitter? Is it Instagram? Right? Because we spend our time everywhere, and each person sure. has a little place that they like the most. And he said, Instagram. I went, okay, great. Let me follow you there. What's your handle? We followed each other. And then it began every day he would post on Instagram or do a story or something. And every single day for three months, I would comment. (laughs) He was, he showed, um, he made a bet with his sons that they wouldn't be able to not eat sugar for more than like for a week. And they broke within the day and they, and he said it was for 25 bucks. I'm like, oh, you should have charged him 50. That's hilarious. You know, he posts about his wife and how happy she is to see Christmas lights. And I looked at that and went, you should give your wife Christmas lights multiple times a year for how happy she was in that photo. Right. So what am I doing? Every little piece I am being funny. I'm being entertaining. I'm showing my consistency that every single day he can rely that I will show that he is important, that I am listening, that I am acknowledging him. I am building the trust, respect, rapport all through comments. So by the time the sixth month, so by the time the third month came where, what am I creating? We should be with every piece of marketing we do. We're creating the whole point is to create top of mind awareness, right? Toma. Mm-hmm. So I don't have to tell you, you know this, but for those that are listening, um, the first moment that they have the idea that they need someone, a product or service like yours, you were the first person that pops up. And that's what happened three months in. He said, Hey, Amanda, 
we'd like to buy 650 of the ultimate sales machine and send them to our best clients. Is that okay? And I went, uh, That'll be actually, fine. <laughs> right. <laughs> and they just bought another thousand books uh, for the new launch of the book. So, and I bared so much fruit from that. That was six years ago. We continue to work together because I put in the sweat equity of just being a valuable resource with every comment. I'm adding value. I'm showing my expertise as well. I'm helping them. So this gentleman had a hundred staff. So I would have never been able to cold call my way. How would I talk to him every day? I had his cell phone, but what would I try to have a conversation to say? On social, they're looking to get attention. They're looking for likes. They're looking for comments. They want validation there. So why not? My father used to say, be a bright spot in their day. So they look forward to your calls, your interactions. We can do that with social. It's absurd. I don't know what my father would have done if he actually had social to do social selling. So that's another way. It's super fascinating because I think that where a lot of people come to us and they struggle is they'll say things like, well, we just can't figure out what to post about or what to create content about. And the strategy that you're talking about is the solution to this, which which is on LinkedIn, you don't have to be the one creating content. Just go do what Amanda's saying, make a list of the people that you want to follow and go be their best commenter every single day. I always tell people, if you just took 15 minutes in the morning or after, whenever you whenever you best you know alert... And just go through and look at those people's pages and comment on their latest posts. Like, and you even just looking at their pages, because now you can see on LinkedIn whether somebody viewed your page or not. And that top of mind stuff, it's hard to like, it's hard to measure it. I think it's hard to measure it directly sometimes with a lot of things that we do, even like this podcast for me. Like I do a podcast and there's social posts and I do have a lot of content that gets created and put out yeah. and all that kind of stuff. But a lot of times the most valuable stuff is exactly what you're talking about, which is just go be a nice person to somebody else, add value to their day, make them smile, make them laugh on something that they're posting that they want attention. They're literally begging for interaction. So just give it to them. And then all of a sudden you're like, I mean, I had a guy the other day who uh, came to an event that I talked at, I don't know, like three years ago. And this is a big deal, like a hundred thousand dollar deal. And he's like, Hey, you know, uh, we're finally ready to redo our messaging. And we know that I know you're the expert on story brand. And there's like 800 story brand guides around the country. But why yeah. does he remember me? So I'm going to talk at an event. And since then, he's saw, seen a few webinars, seen a few things. And across time, I've commented on a bunch of his stuff. So he just remembers me. Like there's so much value there. People that are listening, go make your go make your list of top 100s. Go be their best commenter on, on LinkedIn, especially. And you'd be surprised what it can turn into. I love that. I I also would say, so some people get intimidated by the hundred. The whole purpose is to narrow and refine and get super focused on where you need to uh, give your energy, right? Because um, so if it's a hundred for an organization that he had, he had multiple people in marketing, he had multiple salespeople, him himself. So a hundred actually felt very small for smaller organizations it could be 12. It could be one. That's a good um, point. So I, I think the hundred has intimidated me, honestly, even when I think about it, like, why haven't I done it? Well, cause it's too many. Well, why don't you just start with five? I don't know. This seems obvious now that you're saying it. I'm just not doing it. <laughs> well, and so I, when I first inherited the company, I was trying to rebuild the brand to let people know that we're here to stay. Right. So it's been 10 years since my father passed. Now I've been CEO for eight, but when I first mm. inherited it, I was trying to find a way to just say, We're here, you know, instead of a tragedy. And I went out to 12 of the biggest people in my industry and said, hey, I'm putting on a virtual event that will be the best virtual event for entrepreneurs this entire year. We'll we'll easily reach a million entrepreneurs. I'd love you to be a part of it. And I started from absolutely nothing, going to the biggest and the best. I ended up bringing them just 12 together. It generated me 30,000 leads without costing me a freaking dime. Wow incredible. It was incredible. So 12, right? It took 12. It didn't take a hundred. So what are we doing to really hone in on who is most important? I, it's not sustainable to say I'm going to pick a hundred and then I'm going to comment on every single thing they do every single day, maybe for a VA, maybe, but if you're a CEO, you don't have the time, but I knew that that one that I talked to you about, they would make all the difference for me in my business. So I laser focused and I made sure that I was always commenting on them. So if we can get 
really committed. And we say it's very simple. If you just do it one hour a week, if even you just set aside, okay, so everybody that's listening right now, what day, what hour are you committed to spend that one hour a week to win over your better buyers? And then the purpose is to go from maybe I've never heard of you before to, oh yes, I've heard of them to, oh, I know them to, oh yeah, we've met to, we're working together. And we want to be everywhere to them where they just say, wow, you are everywhere. Well, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm actually only everywhere to about 20 people, but they're the 20 most influential people that I need to close business today. So I'm in their uh, social media um I'm in their uh, social feed. I am, my ads are running just to those few, right? So the the ad budget is much less, but I'm so hyper-focused, right? I'm sending direct mail. Why not if there's only 20 of them, right? So we circle the dragon as my uh, head of sales, Ted Miller would say. Um, yeah. So one of the things that um, it makes me think about is, you know, we use this term, we'd say like account-based marketing for people that are listening mm-hmm. that the idea is basically like you'd have a list of accounts and you're going to market to those accounts. Yeah. You're talking about on the sales side, but there's, I don't know, whenever I talk about sales and marketing these days, I always feel like there's a lot of blend. Like I think marketing is kind of the wide cast net and sales is exactly what you're talking about, which is like the laser focus. Um, but I get that comment a lot. People will say, uh, Janice, like you're everywhere. And the interesting thing is I'm actually almost nowhere. Uh, because I have five kids at home and I have no interest in um, breakfast meetings or evening events or going to talk at most things unless it's just a really good fit for me because I have five teenagers at home and I only get the years. My oldest son turns uh, 18 in 26 days from the time that I'm recording this podcast. And that's completely overwhelming. And so, and yet at the same time, people will, will still say to me, Hey, I feel like I see you everywhere. It's because of like things like this. I'm probably not as structured and organized as what you're talking about, but man, for people that are not doing this, this is like the secret silver bullet for, and this is just one of the pieces, you know, of the 12 in the book that we're talking about. The other one that really struck my eye, because I'm curious uh, how you'll unpack this is the idea of uh, workshop, workshop style meetings. Um, Uh, (laughs) So um, unpack that a little bit. Absolutely. So that's funny that you say that because we have this sexy things. We have like dream 100. People love that. And they come to to us like, help us deploy our dream 100. Or we have education-based marketing, which I think you and I could really geek out on because that's more around the messaging side. Sounds like you're very good at that as well. So to do follow up. I love that. Yeah, for that. (laughs) But, But what really moves the needle the fastest so much of the time, and I normally don't say this, is that, I mean, 52 million meetings are ineffectively run every single day in the United States, just in the United States alone. Hmm. So organizations don't know how to run an effective meeting. And a majority of the time, it's the CEO or the C-suite that comes to the meeting and feel that they need to go out and have every idea and dictate to the rest of the team, this is what needs to get done. Okay, now go do it. But if you're perpetually coming up with every idea, how do you get buy-in from the whole team? Majority of the time, the answer is actually within the team. We just don't create a container or a productive container to allow them to give feedback in a way that can be constructive and create results from it. So we do a workshopping um, methodology where let's say, so when we do consulting, we'll, we'll put up a question on the board and we'll say, what's the biggest thing holding you back from, what's the biggest thing holding your company back from growth? And we'll give them, so this is key. So you'll need one person to moderate the process and it'll be good to have somewhere to write. So if you're in person, you're writing on a whiteboard. If you're on a Zoom, you're showing your screen and you're typing them up. So give everybody just about two minutes, you don't need a lot of time, but give them enough time to think through and write down all of the things that are holding them back from doubling their sales. That's just the topic for this particular workshop. Okay, what are all the things that are holding me back from growing our sales? And then the moderator says, okay, after the two minutes have gone up, now what are your answers? And go around to every person and get their answers of what are the things holding you back. Then 
we, you know, get the duplicates and put them together and then say, where would you vote that is the biggest thing holding this company back? And everybody will give a vote. And then based on that, we come up with what the true answer is. Then the next part of that workshop, which is critical, is how do we solve it? What are the next steps to solve this issue? What and who can be held accountable for each step? Mm-hmm. There you that go. way, you have buy-in from the whole team because the whole team has determined that this is the problem rather than the CEO or the CMO or the, you know, a C-suite person coming in saying, this is our problem. This is what needs to be solved. Now everybody has ownership. Well, I said that it was the problem and I said that this would be a solution. So I guess I do have to actually follow up and make sure that that happens. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, I love it. And I think what's interesting about that one to me is just this, I think when people open a sales book, they expect to see like just a bunch of sales tactics, you know, or like, I don't know, negotiation tips maybe. And and that one feels so far outside of that bucket, but it makes so much sense because it's about rallying people together. And if you can't rally people around the same idea and you, and there's not this like unified rallying cry of, of buy-in basically and support, then it's just, the ship's not going to sail very fast. And it might still grow, it might still go, but it's not going to do it very well. And it's certainly not going to double in any kind of reasonable amount of time. That's funny you should say that. So my father wrote the book and he wanted the title to be the pig head the pig headed executive wins every time. That's what he wanted the title to be. And Penguin came back to him and said, we will not sell one book with that title. <laughs> Our sales team doesn't even want to sell that book. And he went so then they said it should be the ultimate sales machine. And my father said, why would it be the ultimate sales machine? I talk about leadership. I talk about marketing. I talk about effective meetings, right? Yeah. Uh, I talk about processes and procedures. And they said, no, this is the title. And he was so angry <laughs> that that was the title. And yet it's uh, had great success. I mean, they were totally right about the title. But if well, you read publishers, through it- I suppose, hopefully they know what they're talking about. But it is yeah. interesting because when I like glance through the 12, which I won't go through all of them because people should just go get the book themselves. But is that like the last one, you know, what gets measured gets managed and what's not measured is invisible. Like that doesn't feel like a sales thing. It is though, because, uh, you know, you got to have a scoreboard. And if you're not, you know, if you're not keeping track, my son's got a, I keep going back to my kids, but he's got a big football game tonight, you know, Aww. as of the day that we're recording this. And so if there's no scoreboard to football game, it's just not nearly as exciting because, and, and the team that's playing doesn't have the same kind of drive. If they've only got 30 seconds left and they got 50 yards to go and um and they need to score a touchdown, they're going to make different decisions and they're going to operate in a different way than they would if that wasn't true. And yep. that like that feels like a like a, like you said it's a bigger it's bigger than just sales. But at the end of the day, I always say like businesses for sure, I believe are more about people than profits. But if you don't have profits and you don't have sales, you can't take care of your people. And so it, it's kind of like a, a little bit of everything. That's great. I love all of that. Yes, absolutely. So I said I was going to flip this podcast upside down from what I normally do, which I we've done, which I like. And we can always come back to some of these tips too. But I want to circle around to what I really love to talk about, which is like the heart of the entrepreneur or business leader. And so you have been CEO now for eight years. Um, it's been 10 years since your dad passed. And that's a big transition because you've got, you know, you've got a brand that is essentially built on a personality. It's like, you know, it's it's like you know, uh, Zig Ziglar's son taking over his organization. Like he still got the same last name, but man, Zig's gone. And and there is no replacing Zig, you know, and there's no replacing your dad. It's more about moving forward. So I'd love to hear, uh, I'm sure there's plenty of other people out there that are listening that are in family operated businesses. And maybe, um, maybe they just took over or maybe at some point they're thinking they're going to take over in the future. Um, and, and maybe not, maybe it won't come out of tragedy. Maybe it'll just be a planned transition, but, Talk about what you learned in some of those early years, because I imagine there were a lot of roadblocks along the way. Yeah. So for those that are unfamiliar with my story, so my I was a singer. I had just released mm. my fourth record. I went to USC Thornton School of Music, which is one of the top music schools in the nation. And my father got diagnosed with cancer. So I put that aside and I became a caregiver for him. And he never spent one night alone in the hospital. It was me, my brother, and my mother. We would rotate all-nighters. And he spent 382 nights there. And wow. never once alone, right? So I spent easily 100 nights in the hospital with him and never... In any of that time, did he sit me down and say, hey, Amanda, 
here are my companies. Mm. Here's who runs them. Here's what I'd like to see from them. I mean, we just never had that dialogue. And the crazy part is there was time, right? We we could have had that conversation and we didn't. So when he passed and nobody knew what to do with me, I mean, there was no plan for that. Uh, there was really not much of a succession plan. We had um, every company had a CEO and all those CEOs reported to one CEO who then reported to my father. So it wasn't like my father was part of the day-to-day at all. He was far surpassed that. But it, it was like a body that didn't have a heart anymore because mm. he was the brand, right? It's Chet Holmes International. Sure. So, it, um, yeah, that was devastating because me and my father were very close. And um, I, yeah, thank goodness we were a virtual company because I would be like sobbing while I was listening in on calls because I had no idea what how to fathom or figure it out. And if it weren't for, I have a... I have a spiritual teacher and I study under an Indian saint by the name of Sarvalokama, Her Holiness, Shri 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 1008, Guruji Punamji. But hmm. I just call her Guruji. Yeah, it's a long she, name. Yeah, it, it's it, it's a very high honor. That's why it's so long. Um, so she told me that I could step in and continue to run the business. And I kept looking at her like, that's crazy. <laughs> Never in a million years. <laughs> You must be smoking something. I, mean, I just, I don't think you realize what you're saying, Guruji. Um, but I, I, so I kept hiring and firing different C-suites to fill that void that my father left until eventually I did step in. And she was a huge part of like releasing the limiting beliefs that I had that I could do that because, you know, hundreds of staff, it, it was not an, a small undertaking, but then also recognizing that I had to create a company that I was proud of, that was in alignment with, I know that you ask questions a lot on mission and core values and my core values were different than my father's core values. Mm. Um, he was very much a fighter and I am very much a lover. <laughs> so uh, like one of my core values is grace and beauty to see beauty in everywhere I go and to leave it even more beautiful than when I leave. And um, I had shared with my business coach because I, practice what we preach. You know, we also sell business coaching. Um, so I have my business coach and I came back to him with my core values. And I went, I don't think I should be running, um, a, a training company that around sales when these are my core values. <laughs> and, he, and he replied back to me, that's exactly why you should be doing what you're doing. Mm. It, you know, it's, a, it's different and the world needs different today. So I well, think it's interesting because when you say those things, place. I think that most, I, I would not say those things sound like things that align with sales like strategy, like it seems, it seems like that um, sales would be more aligned with fighting. But what I always tell people about sales is, especially entrepreneurs who are uncomfortable with the idea of sales, most people don't like salespeople because they've had a bad salesperson that has sold them something that they probably don't want, need, or desire. But they got convinced into it; they were manipulated, and so they think persuasion is somehow bad. But what I always say is that good sales is just helping people accomplish something that they need, want, or desire. And so if you believe that what you're doing is actually helping somebody else, which hopefully you do, otherwise you should sell something else. If you believe it's going to help them, then I think you're morally obligated to convince them to buy it. And people are like, morally obligated to sell them? I'm like, yes, because it's going to help them. And so it's interesting because that kind of like fits in more with that like lover thing. Because I'd, I'd say I'm probably more of a lover than a fighter. My wife's more of the fighter. But um, <laughs> is, is that, uh, I mean, it's great. We're a good combo. But I think that, that's how I feel about sales. I don't, it doesn't bother me because like, I'm going to help you. And if you don't want to be helped, I'm going to try and convince you because I think persuasion can be good. But at the end of the day, it's, it is an act. It is an act of love, which is interesting because I've never thought of it until you said it that way. And it's, it's interesting that you changed the values too. So how did the, how did the team handle that? Because, you know, like for us, like our core values drawn up, drawn up on the wall behind me and that's who we say we are. I think our culture is the attitudes and behaviors that that prove that to be true or not. So how how was that received internally? There's been a lot of changes in who's a part of the team. And uh, it was hard, you know, because mm. my father had people for a decade or family members, too, that just weren't really in alignment. And um, I've yeah, I've made I've made a ton of changes internally to make. At a place where I was really 
I, I'm moving a lot more towards as well. So the the company was based around my father. And I think mm-hmm. that it can only get so far based around my father. I think we need a shift from father uh, or figurehead into more mission driven. Uh, so we're we're making th- that transition now. And, and I think I speak for what is most inspiring for me. And I think it's also very indicative of what a millennial generation is looking for as well. This, this idea of impact, like people don't just want to do good by the world. You have to actually label yourself that you, <laughs> you want to help people. So now impact CEO is a thing. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I, I'm, I'm really pushing us in that direction because that's the kind of company that I want to run. Like for instance, the new edition of the book, uh, instead of writing a foreword to the reader, I wrote a foreword, dear dad. And it's Mm -hmm. this really vulnerable, uh, honest letter to my father uh, about what happened. And uh, it's made a lot of grown men cry. (laughs) which is not what you'd expect from the the beginning of a sales book, like I said. And I wrote 94 versions of the final chapter, which uh, is based around a letter that I found. So the way that I learned my father's business was I would read his emails because I Mm, couldn't ask him things. Yeah. So I, when somebody would say, your father thought I was great, I'd go and find emails <laughs> about their names <laughs> because they were totally making it up. Like everybody <laughs> said that my father thought they were great. Um, so that was a thing. But uh, I found this letter where he said that he had generated more wealth in the last six months than the prior eight years combined. And it was mm-hmm. because of this thing. And I took that letter and I put it into the final chapter and I called it the encore he never got to give on how to live a rich and full life. So both of those things are talking more about both the forward and the final chapter are talking more around passion and purpose and vision and core value, uh, which it's as if people don't, people want to know why you're doing what you're doing because they're so desensitized by so much coming at them at all times, all the content, all the, we went from having 40,000 commercial messages a day to today we have 3.8 billion social media pages with every single person putting out content. So we're so adverse to wanting to be pitched. They want to hear humanity, mm-hmm. right? That's why the purpose driven and and talking about what you're doing and why you're doing it resonates with people because we're just so bombarded by commercial messages. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I think that that it's so interesting to like, just think about, I think I've just put my, first of all, it wouldn't be hard to make me cry because I'm a crier, but, um, maybe <laughs> other guys. but, uh, but I think about how hard that would have been. Like, I think about how hard it must have been to have lost a dad that you're close to and then be faced with, you know, on one hand, kind of carrying on his legacy, but also caring for yourself and for family and for the people that he cared for. And then to have to go, Hey, some of these things aren't actually me. And if I'm going to run a company, like, if you're not aligned, if you're not the closest aligned to the core values, then what the heck are they? You know, like, and I think that's something for people to think about as they listen to this and your story is if you're running a company or in leadership, you don't have to even be, you don't have to even own it or run it, but if you're in leadership at a company and you're not just tied to those core values, like they're like written on your skin, they probably aren't right, or you're probably not right for that role or company. And that's a hard realization. Well, that's why 47 million Americans voluntarily left their jobs last year. That's right. Even more this year. Yeah, because people are, I always say people work for three primary reasons. And I think the third one is the one people realized actually mattered more than they thought. Uh, And people start businesses for this too. They they want freedom. They want some level of autonomy to make decisions on their own or live the life that they want to live, however they define that. They want money because money allows you to do fun things and they want purpose. And that's the one that like, if you're going to wake up every day and spend six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 12, 16 hours, however much you work in a day on something, it should matter, you know, and it should have some kind of impact. And I think, you know, I always say I want to run a business rich in people, not just pixels, you know, because we build websites and do design stuff and all this kind of stuff. But if all we did, if our purpose was just to build websites, 
that's not very exciting. Like anybody can do that. Robots will be able to do that in like, I don't know, six months probably. And, 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 but instead our, we help people grow their businesses and we help people grow their businesses. They get to achieve their dreams. When they achieve their dreams, they get to grow their teams. When they get to grow their teams, they get to care for their family and their other people get to care for their families. Now they get to enjoy life. Like there's some real substance to that when we do our job well. And so we should do it well. And so during the pandemic, I know a lot of other agency owners that lost tons of people. And some of them are great folks, but um, we were really blessed. We lost no one. And um, we're a small team anyway, but at the same time, I think it's because our people like care deeply about the work that they get to do and care deeply about each other. And I hopefully get enough freedom and money to go along with it. Um, that stuff really matters. But your story, that that's that's that was a hard transition. So where are you now? So that was then you made a lot of transitions. Um, you know, how do you feel about where you're at now and where you're going uh, with the company in the future? What does it look like for you? It's a very exciting place. I mean, it took me four years to write the new edition of the book and we just hit number one uh, bestseller last week. Uh, and we're, thanks. And even more than that, we're up over 400%. Uh, wow. over oh. last year, which, you know, I wanted to be a product of the product. So we followed all of our own me- methodology. We ate our own dog food all through the process. So I feel that we've achieved that, which is exciting. And moving forward, I, I've i changed a bit of our belief system. So we talk about doubling sales. And I think that that's critical, obviously. It's what many people want, but not at the expense of their family or their time. And, you know, I lost my father at 55 and Mm. I would not want to help anybody double their sales if that means that they have to work double the amount of time. So I've added to it that let's help you double your sales while cutting your stress in half, because there's ways to work smarter with every day. A billionaire makes this same amount of money in the same 24 hours as everyone else. It's just, they're smarter about every move they're making. So um, I want to help more entrepreneurs uh, and companies grow with, without the expense of losing that time with their family or their health. Uh, because I've been in that hospital room when my father said he couldn't, he has so much wealth and yet nothing could buy his way out of that hospital. Mm-hmm. And, um, so that's part of my mission. And I also have a nonprofit that is run by my guru. And we're looking to procure a thousand acres. I've driven 10,000 miles around the United States looking for a little piece of heaven that people can come and reset. Because for me, so much of it was my mind that I just had to get clear. And once my mind was clear, the roadmap for doubling sales, my father had already given. So that was easy. It was more of the mind that needed to get the shifts. So I'd like to have that space where people can go and just get connected back to themselves, where they can make positive decisions based on their own discernment rather than what you read on the internet and uh, how how to get healthy as well. That's after watching my father through the medical system, I saw a lot that could be improved and I've studied alternative medicine, more Eastern medicine um, over the last decade under my guru. So I'd like to bring that to more leaders of organizations uh, so that they can get their mind and their body in balance and focused. And then, you know, to the moon and back, let's make some magic happen. So that's that's part of my mission. Well, it sounds like a lot of our heart is aligned because I always say, like the title of my book is Building a Business That Lasts, but the subtitle is Without Sacrificing Family. Um, I have people all the time that come to me like, hey, Jay, if you just did this, you know, you could do this and you could make this much more. And I'm like, I don't care. If it means I can't, <laughs> if it means I can't be home for dinner, then like, and that's why like I turned down a lot of stuff, you know, because right now in this season of life where I'm at and everybody's season's different, you know, like yeah. where you're at in life, where I'm at in life, those are different things. And we also have different desires of what we want our days, weeks, years to look like now and ahead. And so um, I really want people to build incredible businesses that make an incredible amount of money and have a huge impact. And I believe that they can do that without destroying the rest of their life. Um 
So that actually leads me to my last question. I always ask this because it's different for everybody and it matters a lot to me. Uh, The topic in the business world of work-life balance comes up a lot, came up a lot during COVID. People started to rethink what they think about what that even means. And so uh, two questions out of the the root, which is number one, what does work-life balance even mean to you? And how has that changed? How has your perspective on the idea or the thought around it uh, changed over different seasons of life? So what does it mean to you and how has it changed over different seasons of life? It's an interesting, I think it's a, so the different seasons of my last tenure, let's say. Mm -hmm. So in the first two years, four years was really just like my hair's on fire. How do I get things into balance? So there was no balance. It was mostly um, just fires and trying to right the ship. Um, Then the lat, then for about a four year period, I was, I had gotten things into a balanced place with the business. So I was spending more time in the nonprofit. Uh, I was working a couple hours a week uh, doing my business that way and spending six days a week uh, serving the community. Um, and then in the last two years, I went back more into my business and uh, reimagined it because a lot of my father's techniques, while can be applied to things on the internet, it wasn't explicitly said in my father's training because the internet hadn't evolved to that place yet. So I came back in to uh, explain how all of them apply. I mean, people got it from it. That's why it kept selling books, but it needed that explanation. So I came back in and really got focused. So I find that I'm a very intensely focused human being. And when I want to accomplish something, I like nothing stops me. So I just get tunnel vision Mm. intensely. So instead of saying, oh, I need more balance, maybe I'll take some yoga classes. I found a guru I lived in a healing center. I <laughs> shaved my head for four years, wore I only white. Yeah. I was a minimalist and through through. So um, <laughs> my answer is that I'm still trying to figure it out, to be totally honest with you. And I've gone, when I've gone for balance, it's just been hyper where all I'm doing Focused. is, yeah, yeah is I looking love- for enlightenment. I love the idea of I'm still trying to figure it out because I don't think there's an answer to, I don't think there's a right answer to the question. Like, I think it's just that that's why I always ask it the way that I do, because I think there's two things at play. Number one, there's seasons of life. Like, am I single or am I married? Or do I have a significant other? Or do I have children or do I not? Am I taking care of parents or not? Do I, you know, there's, there's those kinds of things. And then there's seasons of business. So like, to your point, when you first started and, and the whole thing feels like it's on fire, or even somebody's just starting a brand new business, there are many times where that needs to be the just about the only thing for a pretty good season if you're going to kickstart it. Just like you got to tend to fire really carefully at the beginning. But, but, but if you don't have any embers or coals that are keeping that fire warm and lit, you really got to stay with it or that thing's not going to light. That's what business is like. And I think um, there's seasons of business and there's seasons of life. And I don't think anybody's got it figured out. I think we're all just on a journey, continually figuring it out, but it's worth asking the question and it's worth stopping and going, yeah, business matters and money matters and sales matter and profits matter. Those are all can be good things and they can destroy you. And so at the end of the day, when somebody wants to build a business that lasts, I love bringing people like you on, which is probably why Megan suggested uh, we try and connect, um, who have great ideas of how we can sell things and make money for sure and care deeply about what does life look like? And 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 what what's our purpose and why are we here? So uh, what I'd love to leave people with is two final things from you. Number one is where can they find you on the internet? Where, where can they find the book? What's the best place for that? And number two, any parting advice for people as you are, you know, uh, now a decade in, you know, any parting advice for people who want to build a business that lasts? Oh, Okay. Um, find the book at ultimatesalesmachine.com. The name ultimatesalesmachine.com. Um, find me specifically. I spend more of my time, well, I'm everywhere, Amanda Holmes, but specifically on Instagram. And Amanda Holmes was taken by some woman that doesn't post. <laughs> who I'm still trying to get her account. 
But uh, I had to go by my salsa name, which is Amandita Holmes. Uh, that's even more fun anyway, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't know. And then um, how to run a successful business that lasts. Uh, like you're saying, there's phases, right? So the company that I had 10 years ago, the company that I had two years ago is different based around my life. And I think it's like, it's as if somebody needs permission to say, Hey, it's okay to do what, what you'd like to do. You know, I I'm very big about breaking barriers and breaking boxes. Like if I see a limit, I want to break it. <laughs> I Sometimes constructive, sometimes not. <laughs> uh, so I, I, I push others to say, yes, if, if, if you want to live half of your life in Europe, in a villa, why not? Like the world made it so that we can do that today. If I wanted to spend six days out of seven in a, a healing center and communal garden and only eat what I grew in the garden and teach kids how to connect to the earth, like, why not? I could do it. Why? Because I'm the boss of my own life and I can choose. We get to write our own lives. So That's right. that would be... And and the business can flow flow and follow just based on you and knowing you and knowing what lights your fire. I love that you said we we can write our own story. That's why people start businesses, um, and it's easy to forget it though. Um, I I've got to spend a lot of time with Donald Miller, and one of the things he says is that fate is a horrible author, and so we should write our own stories. And 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 business to some extent um, many times can end up becoming a prison. But what it really should be is a playground. And so as people are kind of wrapping up today, thinking about the things we've talked about, that's a good question to ask. How how could my business be more of a playground than a prison? And and use Amanda's story as permission for you to do what you want to do with your business um, because it's yours. It's one of the beauties of having that opportunity. Amanda, thank you so much, or Mandita, whichever one we want to go with, for being on the show today. I'm going to follow you online and I'm going to encourage other people too. We'll share the link in the podcast notes to the book, uh, The Ultimate Sales Machine. It's been a true pleasure. I hope this episode has given you some ideas or inspiration that will help you grow your business. If you found it helpful and you know somebody else who might benefit from it as well, I would greatly appreciate it if you would take the time to share this with them, maybe on Facebook or Twitter or LinkedIn, or even shoot an email over to a friend uh, with a link to this podcast in it. And if you haven't already, make sure you sign up for our email list at buildingabusinessthatlasts.com.